You're listening to the No Hacks Marketing Podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into online marketing topics covering search, content, CRO, social, and performance optimization to help you level up your marketing. No hacks, no shortcuts, only long-term success. Here are your hosts, Slobodan Manich and Katherine Campbell. Welcome to a brand new episode of No Hacks Marketing. Today, we're going to talk about privacy. As marketers, we know that we need to comply and take off privacy checklists, but is compliance enough? Can we do a better job at it so users understand why they need to click the cookies that we serve them with? We know marketing needs privacy, but does privacy also need marketing? To help answer that, I'm joined by Siobhan Salberg, a musician slash football fanatic turned protector of privacy and founder of measurement and optimization agency, Raise Marketing. She also hosts Marketing Unfucked and has been a speaker most recently at the Super Week, the Copywriter Club, and more. Siobhan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Catherine. Great. I'm excited because this is an episode that I feel strongly about. There's a fine line between providing customized experiences and reaching our audiences in a non-intrusive way. And I feel like I put a lot of questions here on my outline. I have tons of questions for Siobhan, so let's dive right in. But first... Why did you kill your Facebook account? What made you finally do it? You know, I haven't used that in ages. I don't think I realized how much I didn't use it until I went in to cancel it when I noticed that there were messages that were two years old that I still had to answer. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So one of which was my mother-in-law. So you can imagine how that one went by. But, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of profiling going on, obviously, on social media. And we're all aware of it. And I've always been aware of it. And I've never really given up on Facebook because I just, not because I didn't get, I gave up on them as a company a long time ago, but Mm -hmm. I didn't want to give it up because I do have a close network of friends that I've been keeping in touch with there. So I felt almost like I had to stay. And then when you realize you haven't been on there for two years and you didn't actually miss out on any of those connections and the connections that you have socially are more important anyway, when you maintain them in other ways, I just said, it's time to go. And I don't regret it one bit, except that now I'm getting an email every day saying, but this and but that. I'm like, aren't you supposed (laughs) to have deleted all my data? (laughs) Right. So are you saying it's really because you're not using it or because of the privacy related issues there? Because we know we're very aware of that. I think it's a combination of both, right? It's Mm -hmm. just, I know that there is a privacy issue. I don't really want to be profiled and have a whole profile set up on me. And then that in combination with the fact that there was no use for me to use it, mm-hmm. I figured it's time to go. But I am still on social media, right? I still have yeah. an Instagram account. And <laughs> me too. So that's still what's, that's still <laughs> meta. I think it's hard to step away from all of it, especially when you're in privacy and everything that's going on. Yeah. You also don't want, you need to kind of, like I say about everything, you need to weigh your risks and you have to decide what you're going to be comfortable with and what not. And I'm okay with some elements of it. I, I just try to be as safe about it as I can but I'm sure at some point Instagram will go as well and right. then I'll be done <laughs> I'm still I'm still on Facebook just because of the reason that you stated my family my friends from outside the country that's where we stay in touch and all that but I am aware of the privacy risk I did delete my son's was it a messenger for kids account because I saw the social dilemma so I'm like okay I'll just be more careful with mine But yeah, after Facebook, maybe let's start by defining something that you talk about all the time. What's privacy first marketer? How do you define that? 
a privacy first marketer is essentially a marketer who is aware of what's going on in privacy. It's really not more than that. It's become a term that a lot of people have started to use because marketing as a department is really heavily affected by all of the privacy regulation. So it's getting to the point where you, within the next few years, you don't really have a choice but to become a privacy first marketer because you need to understand the basics of the regulation that regulate what you're working with. You just don't have a choice but to know what regulates that you work with. And that includes the analytics data, that includes the marketing data sets, that includes any kind of campaigns you're running. You just need to understand that better. And we do have a lot of marketers who are starting to take an interest in this, where they're starting to understand privacy better, and they're coming with a lot of questions. And there are people in privacy and people like myself who are taking the time to educate people about it. But it just takes, it's always easier for someone within an apartment to take ownership and champion something um, such as privacy than someone from legal or the DPO coming to you and saying, you need to be doing this. And then you don't understand. It's just a harder way around it. So this is if a privacy first marketer just takes that upon themselves, the understanding of the privacy around it. Right. You're right. It's it's something that we can't avoid sooner or later. So it's better that we get ourselves acquainted with this loss that we it really have to deal with anyway. And it's one way of, I guess, understanding and protecting our users, which is like the main point of marketing and privacy. I think that's the common denominator there. One quick question. Do you think anybody reads the cookie notice? No, I don't think anybody reads it. I know, (laughs) I know, because when I when I visit the site and I see it, I just wanted to get rid of it and just like, okay. Yeah, and I think that's what the majority of people are doing. There's this term called consent fatigue, where people are just so annoyed by all those pop ups that they just click whatever is going to get it out of their way, which means that most people actually accept it because on the first page, most options are accept and adjust permissions. So you just don't want to deal with the extra step. I read them only when I need to, because I'm looking at information or trying to understand what people are doing or researching something. Otherwise I don't read them, but I do take the extra step to usually say no, unless it's a company who I want that they have my data, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to personalize or whatever they might want to do. But uh, yeah, I don't think anyone does it. I I think it's a completely, I don't, I I don't want to go as far as saying it's a wrong approach because Mm -hmm. It is an approach that was tried. I don't think it necessarily works. I think that people don't understand what they're opting into or opting out of. Exactly. Most people don't know what cookies are or do. And a lot of marketers don't even understand what cookies are on their site. So let alone anybody who's not in marketing or not in data who's going to look at a cookie knows. What do they do with that? Exactly. Two two follow-up questions here. For the user's perspective, like I just want to get rid of it as I'm a marketer and that's my thinking. What what else if I'm like an ordinary person who just wants to purchase something online? So do you think there should be a movement or a change to make the user care about reading this notices or they're they're just there so that we tick off a, a box that we need legally? Yeah. So currently I think they are just there to tick off a box. And I think it's the wrong reason to be there. How can people start caring about what is written there? I think it takes a lot of education. Mm-hmm. There are a lot more bits of pieces in the news, et cetera, that are coming out. So people are taking an interest. I'm noticing even within my own circles, people are asking a lot more questions as to what is it really for? What's really going on? 
But there are also some really smart people out there who are trying to think of other ways of dealing. And and there are people who deal with it by browser, for example, if you, you opt into certain browsers or you decide to set your settings up on certain browsers and then you can't, then it's like opting out. And there are kind of general opt-out options. So they are trying to think it through, but it really comes down to being clear and concise. And it's actually interesting because that's part of what the law says is to make it understandable to everybody else and to be right. clear and concise. So the fact mm-hmm. that everyone's just trying to like use all these fancy terms to describe something so no one understands it is actually not legal. So if people would be clear, meaning, I don't know, they can say we're using these cookies so that we can track your behavior so we can give you personalized shopping options. Then people understand that. You don't That's even something have to I can relate to. Cookies. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can decide, do I want Nike to personalize their shopping options to me? Do I trust them or do I not want to? And you can say, okay, you can opt into these and we will share this data with Facebook and Instagram. And people might say yes. People might say no. Some people probably enjoy having recommendations on their feed. So I think there is a way to make the language simple enough for people to understand but I think it might be a little too late at this point because people are so just used to clicking whatever button they need to to get rid of it. Right. We'll see. I'm hoping it'll go for the better. And just taking a step back, there's also this confusion, which you also talk about. The cookie notice is different from the privacy policy. So can you just quickly clarify that? Yeah, so the cookie, the consent banner or the cookie notice are something that's essentially driven by a different regulations. It's not GDPR. It's called the privacy directive. And it's essentially saying any cookies, regardless of personal data or not, you need to tell the user and you need to get their consent to use them. The only cookies that are exempt from that are obviously cookies that make your site work, as well as cookies such as making sure that the items you added to cart stay in the cart. So those naturally will be exempt. But that's very different than the privacy notice. The privacy notice is explaining, and this is a GDPR regulation, but it's explaining to the user what collect, what data are you collecting, regardless of cookies? What are you planning on doing with that data? How long are you holding that data for? Who can you contact if you want to access your sub- data subject rights, if you want to exercise them? What are your data subject rights? Are we profiling you or are we not? Is there automated profiling or is there not? So it's a lot more of the details. like. If you want to understand what a company does with your data, you need to read the privacy notice. It's most likely a bunch of legalese and will take you three hours to read, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate, but there are some really good examples of clear cut privacy notices out there. And I think that people are trying to start changing that. Right. Because I, I did catch your women advancing privacy talk and Marie, I forgot has very, her very French last name, but <laughs> she also shared a few examples of very even eight-year-old can understand like privacy policies that can be explained to an eight-year-old so it is possible and again that's something that I do not read myself but I think that when someone signs up it shouldn't be that like tiny bit of just a disclaimer down there and then a link to the privacy policy that no one will read there has to be a better way and I think now's the time that more people are becoming aware that there is a way to make this better and that people can understand. So now in that talk, women advising privacy, you mentioned that marketing needs privacy, obviously, just because we need to take off that compliance checklist. But there's also, 
you mentioned about talking about trust being competitive and relevant. You want to expound on that? Yeah. So I think that what's slightly changing now in society generally is that people are becoming a lot more aware of privacy and the impact of people taking all your data and doing what they want with it. And that has naturally kind of continued down this path where people are not necessarily sure that they trust a site or do trust a site and what they're doing. And that came to light a lot with some of the things that happened with Facebook and some of the bigger social media sites. Now, when a company decides to implement private first marketing, let's say, naturally, they are going to be more transparent, more clear and more concise about things because that is how the, that's what the regulation essentially is telling you what to do, right? It's saying be transparent and don't bullshit people. Mm-hmm. So that allows for people to learn to trust you, right? Because if you're going to be transparent and you're not trying to make it really hard to understand and you stop using dark patterns to try and influence their behavior, instinctually that builds trust and that allows people to keep on coming back. So I've noticed that there are companies, I do not know the stats off the top of my head, but there has been some experimentation done around this where they're trying to implement more privacy-friendly ways versus not. And it tends to show that long-term, the privacy-friendly ways are actually better for you. It's also interesting to see that as people build trust, and if you are really making sure you are transparent and allowing people a way to change their consent settings, that people will go in and change their consent settings to the point where they're allowing you to have more data. This is because they want to have the benefits of being personalized too. And they want to have some of the benefits that come with you sharing more data. So it is, it's a shift in society that's going to make marketing have to shift as well. And there have been so many studies in the recent past two years about how people don't want some of the targeted ads. They don't want the creepiness, but they still want targeted ads, just that they're very relevant. So yeah. it's a little bit of both fronts, right? It's just like a little bit here and a little bit there. So we need to figure out how to kind of balance that. But if we can be transparent, then we are going to gain people's trust more and they will spend more money with us. It's just a natural transition. And it is in in optimization, conversion rate optimization. This is one of the big things that we work on is to gain users trust. And you can use privacy to work on that part of it as well. Right. And the way I see it, it's like just, it boils down to respecting your users and then asking their permission, understanding them better because they permitted to share their data. And that by that it, through that, you you kind of give them the marketing that they want, the products and information that they care about. And that all leads to a better experience, both as a marketer and as a cons- consumer. So okay. I, I really think all marketers should be thinking that way. And I, I like that there's a lot of noise going around it here. You also mentioned there the other side of the flip coin. Why does privacy need marketing? Yeah, so this is a little bit trickier. and Most privacy people aren't very happy about me saying this, but I think that a lot of what privacy is asking, so regulations are asking us to communicate with our users and data subjects, as we call them, or customers. And that communication, it can become really dry and really legalese, so then people aren't reading it. So privacy notices are, is one way, for example. If you let your marketing team or your copywriter, your content writer help you with that, you could, from a design perspective, your design team could design it to be more clear. You could make mm-hmm. it more layered. You can use more concise language. You can use clearer language. You can summarize things. You can ask and answer questions. So there are so many ways you can create a privacy notice. 
if you have the help of someone who understands it, that's not from a legal team, right? The marketing design help, the content help, then you can really make that accessible to anybody, really. The same with your cookie notices. You can keep them legally the way they're supposed to be and still make the language and the design so that it's easier to understand. And it, it goes all the way across. It's even when you're dealing with data subject access, right? So people can ask the company to, let's say, delete their data. And there is communication that needs to happen there. And if you can just learn from basic communication that someone in a marketing team would use, such as this, this is what's happened. Here is the problem. This is what we need for you. This is the solution we've given you. These are the next steps. And if you give that in a clear manner and not in a legalese format, you've mm -hmm. still met the legal obligation right. and you've made it so much easier for your customer to work with you. And all of that, again, goes back to the previous question and builds trust. So mm -hmm. I think that privacy, yes, most people in privacy are lawyers. So this is obviously how they are trained to speak and write. And I just feel that if they could take that and without using the legal bit that they need, you can still allow the rest of the teams and, and, and to help you communicate that better and therefore be more accessible to your customers. I couldn't agree more. Whenever someone mentions privacy, there's this like stigma that, oh my God, it's a lot of work. It's so tedious. I don't understand any of those, but okay, fine. I'm going to do it because I need to. And that has to be a shift in mindset that privacy and marketing need each other. They're all both serving the same user and it has to kind of coexist in a way. Exactly. So you mentioned that of course, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a marketer, and I care about privacy. This is the part where we'd like to hear your thoughts. If I'm a marketer, and I don't have any idea, where can I get started? So we already know that there's a disconnect between legal and marketing. What should I do? Should I hire a lawyer? Should should I ask an agency to help me with this? Yeah, so it depends a little bit on the company, the size of the company, and there are various ways you can approach it. Some companies have an outsourced legal team or an in-house legal team that they revert to. So they might not even be privacy professionals, but they will work with them to arrange privacy notices, et cetera. If you are a European established company, then you need to have a DPO or data protection offices in most cases. Smaller companies usually don't. And then you can, even there, you have a choice. You can have an in-house data protection officer, or you can ask an agency or a consultant to sit in as your data protection officer. And they do, again, the same thing. They are not necessarily the legal team, so they don't do everything the legal team does, but they their job is to make sure that you are respecting the customer's data. So they help you with your processes, the privacy-first approaches, setting up new flows, where the data is, data mapping, et cetera. So you have those options to bring in. And then you can also work with a consultant or an agency Um so for example, me, I do not work as a data protection officer. It is not what I choose to do. And I work more on the, on the business, like on a business element of things, meaning I really try to take the business's interests into my consideration set and then see how we can layer privacy on top of that, which is slightly different. So you can work with a consultant who is not a DPO who would work with these things with training marketing teams, doing running workshops doing risk analysis, understanding customer journeys and where there might be some permission checkpoints that are missing, those type of things you can then do with a consultant. So they all meet different obligations or elements. And my bit is actually fully optional, but in some ways it's not. If you want to do it well, you need to make sure you 
train up your team and, and you look at your journeys to understand what's going on. Whereas a DPO, their job is to be completely independent. Their job is actually not to put the business first, right? Their job is to put the data subject first. Mm -hmm. So for example, a DPO will never be the CEO because the CEO, right. any C-suite, right? Needs to put their <laughs> yeah. business first. So you can't mesh that. So there are slightly different, like there are nuances to each job as to what's legally required and what's not, which is why I love my job because I get to work with the business and kind of see how can we make this work to make sure the DPO is fully happy and we make sure we, make sure we meet all legal requirements so that whatever legal team you have is happy, but mm -hmm. also to make sure that your customers are happy to do what they want to do and that the business can actually feel that they still have the ability to grow. Because that is, I think, some of the hesitation that people feel that the moment we have to implement all this privacy stuff, it feels like we're stunting their growth. And that's never a good feeling for anyone running a business. Right. So for a DPO, it doesn't have to be a lawyer, right? It's just mm -hmm. this person's sole responsibility to make sure that the legal boxes are checked or the privacy. Essentially, Exactly. So a DPO does not have to be a lawyer. They do need to be considered an expert in privacy. So usually mm -hmm. they have some sort of certification or they'll train themselves up. But it's mm -hmm. also their job to when there are sub when there are data subject rights requests or someone is requesting for their data to be deleted, edited, etc. They would be dealing with those. If there is a breach, they would be dealing with that. And again, they will help with things like understanding how you're processing data, where the risk might be and where not. But they're always going to look at it in the sense of what's the data subjects rights here and are we keeping their data safe? So they work obviously with different departments and they try to raise a privacy code, like privacy awareness and they run workshops and they try to instill a culture around privacy that is also part of their job, but they still need to always remember that the data subject is who they're essentially reporting to, although the company's right. paying them. It's a bit of a weird position to be in, right? I don't really envy them. I, I know DPOs who love it, so it's great for them, but I don't think I could do it. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a small business, like I don't have a DPO or a legal department that within my company, it's my first step to make sure that I comply with CCPA. I have that do not sell my data opt out of list. Is that my first step? Yeah, your first step would try to understand what is required of you. So if you're a smaller business, it could be that you don't apply to some of those, the American privacy laws, because a lot of them are actually, they have a cap as to at what point you have to have a certain amount of visitors, a certain amount of sessions, or a certain amount of income, like revenue coming in. So it could be that you don't even hit that level. So I think the first thing you would do is reach out to someone and ask what needs to apply and what not. So in the States, there are a couple of things you need to keep in mind, such as, am I hitting those thresholds? I don't think it's bad to put those links there as long as you're following what it says, even if you're a smaller business, because I think it is an expectation now of a customer mm -hmm. to see that. Um, so from a marketing perspective, I would put it there because if if you're a company where people don't necessarily know how much money or how much revenues you're bringing in and they don't see it, they might not trust you for that matter. And then obviously for the European established companies, or if you're selling to Europe actively, then you also need to make sure you have your consent banners and you have your privacy notices that also meet regulation. So you're not exempt from doing the basics. So the best way to work then is usually to talk with a consultant or someone who's understanding privacy or even check within your company because i've noticed a lot of times there is someone there who really has an intense interest in it they can get the basics together and then you can bring in a consultant to review things for you that's a 
good idea. Before we wrap up the episode, Siobhan, is there one actionable tip that you can leave our listeners with if in case they're marketers who want to be privacy first marketers or business owners? Yeah, I think the first thing is to just try to reach out to people and talk to people. But most importantly, and what I keep on telling people, it's all about balancing the value against the risk. So you need to really have a good understanding how much value does data provide you, meaning the personal data that you're collecting, how much value does it bring to the business and the business decisions and, and actually the ROI. And then what's the risk element? Because everything in privacy is an element of how much risk do I want to take versus how what do I need? And even as a marketer or as a data analyst or anyone in the company, you can start looking at those things. You can start seeing, okay, do I really need this? Do I really not need this? And once you start thinking this through, then it'll also be easier to work with a consultant on any of your privacy regulations. That's awesome. I, I really learned a lot from this conversation for my personal reasons. Thank you, Siobhan. Anything to promote and where can people connect with you? Um, Nothing really to promote, but feel free to check me out on LinkedIn. I'm sure you'll drop a link somewhere or my marketing website is raisemarketing.io with a Z, not an S. And then you can also go to my personal website, which is ssolberg.com, where you can see things like week notes and me writing about all things privacy and marketing. Yeah, you do have a newsletter. I'm I'm subscribed to that. So that's on yes, the I have a newsletter website. Too. Exactly. We will, of course, drop all the links on the description. Again, thank you so much for your time today, Siobhan. I'm sure our listeners found a lot of value in that topic. Appreciate your time today. And if you found value in this episode, we appreciate it if you can subscribe and leave a review. I'll see you next week. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to No Hacks Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you can leave a rating on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Visit nohacksmarketing.com to subscribe.